Hello, everyone, and welcome to the debut edition of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's new Miami Marlins podcast. For those who don't know me, I'm Jordan McPherson, the Marlins beat writer for the Miami Herald. That's right. After almost two years on the beat, I'm finally getting into the podcast game. Been looking forward to doing this for a while now, and I hope you all enjoy. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. We'll talk a little bit about where the Marlins stand in the playoff race as we near the halfway point of this shortened 2020 season. We're going to have an update on the guys who were sidelined early in the year by COVID-19 who are close to returning to the lineup. And we'll have some prospect talk, centering, of course, on Sixto Sanchez getting the call Saturday and providing the first glimpse of what could be an extraordinary career. We'll have some insights from inside the clubhouse as well along the way. So let's jump right into it and try to make sense of exactly what's happened so far in this 60-game sprint of the season. For those who might need that quick refresher on the first month, the Marlins, who are in year three of their rebuild under the Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter ownership group, began the season with wins in two of their first three games against the Philadelphia Phillies before everything really went haywire. They went into quarantine for a week in their team hotel in Philadelphia after 18 players and a couple coaches tested positive for COVID-19, then had to replace just about 60% of their roster when they finally took the field again. They've used about 55 players overall now. They've spent 27 of their last 34 days at the time of this recording on the road. And, oh yeah, even with all of that, they're still holding on to a playoff spot. Let's repeat that for a second. The Miami Marlins are still in the thick of a playoff race with just over a month left in the season. They're 12-11 and 11 after winning three of their last five against the Washington Nationals in the nation's capital. They capped the series Monday with what could arguably be called their best offensive performance of the season. 17 hits, 11 runs. They're second in the NL East right now behind the Braves and a team that's nipping at their heels, the New York Mets, who they're going to play four games in three days in in New York City over the next few days. And what's more, the Marlins are actually getting closer to being back at full strength. Shortstop Miguel Rojas and catcher Jorge Alfaro have already returned to the team after their bout with COVID-19. Four pitchers, Starters Sandy Alcantara, Caleb Smith, and Jose Urania, as well as key late-inning reliever Yimmy Garcia, are closing in on their return to the active roster as well. And while that gives the Marlins a lot to think about and gives them a little bit of a better chance as they try to keep this playoff push going, it also puts the front office in a pretty interesting spot when you factor in the trade deadlines just a few days away. Miami, with a winning record, with a chance of being in the playoffs, with a chance to sneak in and be that dark horse contender this postseason, they're in position to be buyers this year, especially if they can pull off a few a few wins against the Mets over the next few days. Marlins president of baseball operations, Michael Hill, on Sunday said the team's going to explore all avenues to improve the roster, but he also made it pretty clear that their most logical avenue for improvement might simply be just getting those guys back from the COVID-19 injury list. How quickly those guys return and how well Miami fares over its next four games against the Mets are going to play a factor in how Miami approaches this deadline. Here's a little bit more from Michael Hill on how they're planning to juggle all of this over these next few days. Uh, I I think, uh, you know, as we approach the deadline, our biggest acquisitions are going to be the return of Sandy Alcantara, Jose Urena, Caleb Smith, Yimmy Garcia, among others. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge injection of of starting pitching, a huge injection of, of talent uh, that we've been without, you know, since uh, since that first series of the year. Uh, but when you look at the the trade deadline on the whole, uh, I think the biggest challenge is just the fact that you still have so many clubs that that are technically still in it. And uh, as we sit today, there's a number of clubs that that 
I would say, don't know which direction they want to go. And so we continue to stay in touch with, uh, with our peers, and which is always our, our, our goal is to be opportunistic. If there is a, a chance, an opportunity for us to, to improve um, this roster, uh, then we'll explore it. And I think that is always our focus, always our goal. Uh, I think in the near term, uh, the return of Sandy and, and Jose and, and Caleb and Yemi uh, will, will, will be a huge uh, fortification of our roster. Uh, but, you know, if there's other opportunities for us to, uh, to improve, we will, uh, we will definitely explore, explore those routes. While the Marlins wait for those players to return, they've had to rely on this ragtag group of players, a really healthy mix of guys who are on their active roster from day one, some veterans who were at their alternate training site, a group of prospects, some who were, we were expecting to see at some point this year, and others who got rushed up to the show a little bit faster than expected, and a slew of guys who were either picked up off of waiver wires, trades, or free agency just to field a full team over this last three weeks. And a lot of guys really stepped up to the challenge. And to me, it's hard to have this conversation without first mentioning Pablo Lopez. He came into the season expecting to be the number four guy in Miami's starting pitching rotation. He's had some injuries over his first two full years in the league with the Marlins. And out of nowhere, he goes from being number four to essentially being the de facto ace over this last month without in a rotation without Sandy Alcantara, without Caleb Smith, without Jose Urania to work with him and be that little cushion between the top three guys and where he was supposed to be. And Pablo has really found a way to impress just about everybody each time he stepped onto the mound. I mean, let's just take a quick look at his numbers through five starts. He has a 1.98 ERA, the 10th best in baseball after Monday's set of games. He's career best marks in nearly every statistical category that holds meaningful weight for pitchers. Strikeouts per nine innings, strikeouts per walk, pitches thrown per inning. He's only allowed one home run in about 30 innings this year. It's the best he's looked in the big leagues, and it's something that pitching coach Mel Sotomayor Jr. sort of saw coming as the team returned from that four-month layoff due to the coronavirus pandemic. Pablo really looked a lot sharper. He looked more aggressive. And he just looked like there was something that changed about him every time he stepped up to the mound. And it was just a matter of seeing if it was going to carry over into the season when everything mattered. When he wasn't just fighting the fighting for to solidify his spot in the lineup and in the rotation. And he's certainly done it. He's gone toe-to-toe with Jacob DeGrom twice. And he's looked like the he looked like he could go up against him every single time they've they face up and give the Marlins a chance to win. It's been a sight to see, and it's going to make the Marlins rotation that much more better, that much more improved, I should say, when the rest of the guys start coming back. And then when you look from a hitter standpoint, you've got to pay a lot of respect to those veteran offseason signings that the front office made. made. they paid dividends so far. Matt Joyce, he's on a seven-game hitting streak right now, and that's after coming back from testing positive for COVID before the season and only getting about two or three at-bats, live at-bats, before being called up as part of that mass wave of players after the outbreak happened in Philadelphia. Corey Dickerson, after a slow start to the year, he's out onto a nine-game hitting streak. He's certainly started to find a stroke. He's been that professional guy who takes at-bats deep, knows how to choke up and take that solid approach with two strikes, and it's finally the results are starting to fall for him. 
Jonathan VR, the leadoff guy, the leadoff guy for the Marlins, he has hits in 10 of his last 11 games, and he leads Major League Baseball in stolen bases despite playing about six fewer games than most of the rest of the league. Jesus Aguilar, he leads the team in RBI. He's been that power guy in that in the two, three, two or three spot in the lineup. And just his personality is just infectious. He finds a way to keep the team loose, keep the clubhouse loose, keep everyone engaged, even when they went through a few of the hiccups over these last couple weeks. And then you have Francisco Cervelli, who unfortunately is dealing with concussion right now, and we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with him down the road. But while when he was on the active roster, he really stepped up and found a way to keep the team up tight, up, 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 up and afloat, and found a way behind the plate to help move this young starting rotation along and find find ways to get the best out of some of these pitchers who, again, a lot of them probably wouldn't have been up here at this point. He kept Humberto Mejia calm in his debut against the Mets a couple weeks ago. He helped Daniel Castano maneuver through a few things, and he really helped settle Pablo Lopez down to the point where Pablo has said that anytime he sees Francisco just pointing his fingers down for a pitch, Pablo knows exactly what to do and knows that he's going to have to throw with conviction or else he's probably going to get an earful from Cervelli. And really, how can we have this conversation and not mention those prospects? The future showing up in the present. The reason this rebuild is happening in the first place. And the ones who are going to determine how the rebuild actually plays out. The Marlins have had 13 guys make their MLB debut so far this year through 23 games. That includes five of their top 11 prospects. All of whom, by the way, have been acquired since Jeter and Sherman took over the organization. Another top prospect in Trevor Rogers, one of the few top prospects who predates the Jeter-Sherman era, is expected to start the second game of Tuesday's doubleheader against the Mets. And if we're going to talk about prospects, we're going to have to talk about the big guy first. Sixto Sanchez stepped onto the big league mound for his first time in that second game against the, against the Nationals on Saturday's doubleheader, and he really wasted little time showing just how good he can really be. I mean, we know about the fastball. He hit 105 times over his first two innings. He struck out four. He didn't walk a batter. And really, the fastball, yes, he touched 100 and we talked about that, but his slider is really, really effective. His changeup touches 92. It's faster than a few of the few of the fastballs on some of the Marlins staff right now. And he just knows how to command, and he really has such incredible sequencing for a guy who's only 22 years old and is just getting his feet wet in the big leagues. I've gone back and I've watched this start about three or four times now, and the one at bat that just keeps going back and I have to just keep watching again because I'm in awe was his first matchup with Eric Thames in the second inning. He starts with an 88-mile-an-hour slider that's just below the strike zone, and he gets Thames a whiff on it. His second pitch, he goes high in the strike zone with a 99.9-mile-an-hour fastball. Thames fouls it off, barely getting, getting contact with it. With his third pitch, he basically goes right back where he started. Low in the zone, maybe, in a, maybe a couple inches outside of the zone with a 92-mile-an-hour changeup. Thames whiffs. Strike three. It's just seeing how he was able to recognize just what he wants to do and execute what he wants to do. It was an incredible sign of maturity. And just seeing that shows that with what he's able to do now, if he's able to hone in on that even more as he gets more starts under his belt, as he gets even more comfortable on the mound, as he figures out the routines and the 
and the and everything that other big league hitters are going to want to do, he has a chance to really become something special. I'm not going to make any declarations now. It was one start. It was five innings. He made a couple mistakes, too. He gave up a couple home runs and kept Washington in the game. But he has the makeup to be something special if he puts in the time and he puts in the effort. And the good thing for him, he's not going anywhere right now. Marlins manager Don Mattingly said that Sixto, for the time being, is going to continue to be part of the rotation. And that means that he's going to be pitching every five days. If his schedule stays the same, that puts him in line to start on Thursday to close out the Marlins road trip against the Mets and gives him a chance to start during the next homestand as well. Here's a little bit more from Marlins manager Don Mattingly on Sixto Sanchez. It's going to be up to him, uh, quite honestly, um, because he's going to be a lot like Sandy from the standpoint. He's going to have the stuff. Uh, is he going to continue to get better? Is he going to continue to do all the things you need to do to be a top-line guy? So, you know, a lot of this is going to be obviously up to Mel and the pitching staff or the pitching coaches to continue to develop. But it, it's really going to be up to Sixto as far as him doing the work, him dedicating himself to the details of, of being great. Uh, and that's going to tell you how good he's going to be. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And like we said before, Sixto's debut was just one of the many, many, many MLB debuts that the Marlins have seen so far this year. 13 already through 23 games. They only had, I think, 9 or 10 throughout all 162 games last year. Obviously, the circumstances brought up brought the situation ahead, but a lot of the players have really started to take hold of the opportunity. A couple of the guys who I want to single out outside of Sixto, outfielder Jesus Sanchez and first baseman Lewin Diaz. They were both trade deadline acquisitions last year. Jesus Sanchez coming from the Rays, Lewin Diaz coming from the Twins. And they've had limited sample sizes. They've had only limited results that have actually shown up on the, on the box score and on the stat sheets. But their approaches at the plate have really impressed me. And they've impressed manager Don Mattingly as well. Just in terms of how they're not overly, they're not just swinging for the sake of swinging. They have approaches when they get to the plate. Jesus Sanchez, I talked with him a little bit on Monday, and he mentioned how he knows what the strike zone is, and he actually shrinks it up a little bit more so that even if he's taking something that's a called strike, he's not swinging at something that he knows he's not going to get a result out of. He's actually only swung at about 25% of pitches that were outside of the zone based off of what our good old buddies at StatCast were able to tell us. And almost everything he hits is for hard contact. 
He's shown that he's able to get the ball in play. The matter of it is those balls dropping. And that's going to come eventually if he keeps his, if he keeps getting the hard hits and he keeps barreling the ball and he keeps finding ways to put the ball in play. He's going to get the results eventually. And if he doesn't, and if he does, if he's not getting the ball in play, he's showing enough patience to draw walks. He already has four walks this year in five games. That's really solid work for a guy who's just got called up this week. And it's going to be really good to see how he continues going. Leighton Diaz is the same thing. He only played in three games while Corey Dickerson was on the bereavement list, but he was really steady at the plate. He was really good on defense, and we're going to get to see a little bit more of him now that he got recalled to be back up with the club during the series against the Mets, and we'll likely see him when they get back for the home, their homestand as well. And while we talk about the good, we also need to talk about the works in progress. And of the top prospects, that brings us to the case of Monte Harrison. I mean, we all know what he can do when he turns on a fastball. We all know his potential to be incredible on defense and center field. But his overall approach at the plate, it still needs a decent amount of work. I mean, yeah, we can say 30 at-bats. It's a small sample size. But you can see just that he's going up there and he is still getting frazzled. He struck out more half of his time to the plate. He's whiffing about 40% of the time when he swings. It looks like, especially in times when the Marlins are down a run or tied or where he comes up in a big situation, a lot of times it looks like he's just going for the fences. He's going for that kill shot. He's going for that home run. Or he's being too hesitant. And there's, he really needs to find a way to get that middleman, try to find, just find a way to get on base, get that base hit, and then let him let the rest of his play and the rest of his talents do the talking. Because in terms of tools, he's a physical specimen. We all know that. We know he'll be able to hit. We know he can hit for power. We know he has speed for, on the base paths. We know he's great defensively. But he has to start getting those results and getting some more consistency, at the very least in terms of getting the ball in play, to help him stay up longer than he did for just the 10 or so days that he was up his first time out. But just the fact that He's up, that he was up. Jesus Sanchez is up. Lewin Diaz is up. Sixto's up. And just the fact that we're starting to really see the fruits of the labors of all of those trades that happened at the start of this rebuild. I mean, if we break it down, with the exception of Jazz Chisholm and Jose Devers, every one of the Marlins' top 30 prospects who were part of that tr those trades, either directly or indirectly, because remember, Jazz was obtained for Zach Gallon, who was part of the Marcelo Zuna trade, so we'll factor him into all this as well. Everyone from the top 30, with the exception of Chisholm Endeavors, have made their big league debuts and have been up for at least some period of time. Have all the results been good? No, of course they haven't. Not every, it's not going to be 100% hit rate. You're not going to bat 1,000 on these. But the fact that we're finally able to start gauging how these are going to result how these results are going to play out at the major league level, not just looking at the potential and the top 30 prospect lists. This is really going to be the point where we can finally start truly evaluating how all of these trades have played out and see what it means for the Marlins long-term and also gives the Marlins the opportunity to start testing that depth that they always, that they've been praising themselves about inside the organization over these last three years. All right, and before we wrap up today, let's just talk a little bit about what's ahead for this Marlins team and really try to figure out just how good this Marlins team really is 
and how it's going to handle this final month of the year. Remember, their schedule isn't going to get much easier. They have these four games against the Mets coming up that really could decide whether the Marlins are going to be able to make that playoff run or it could potentially bury them and put them in third place in the division and give them a hole that they're going to have to work a lot to climb out of. And after that series, I mean, again, this isn't exactly how it's playing out in order, but you've got five games against the Nationals. You've got seven more games against the Braves, all seven of those games on the road, by the way. You've got six games against the Rays, who have been getting hot. You've got three games against the Yankees, who, let's face it, they're the Yankees. You've got two against the Blue Jays. You've got five double headers over the span of the final five weeks. And all of this with just two off days. There's a little breathing room for this team, both in the sense of how tight the race in the NL East could ultimately end up being, and in the Marlins' time to recover between games. Now, if they're able to string together a few big series wins, yeah, we'll be talking about October baseball for the Marlins for the first time since 2003 and just the third time in franchise history. And we all know what happened the first two times that they made the playoffs. But one big losing streak, and we could be talking another quiet October, another quiet postseason in baseball for South Florida. But the fact alone that they're in the race, the fact that we're able to be talking about this, the fact that we're talking pennant race baseball with the Miami Marlins in 2020, it just makes it that much more exciting to pay attention to this down the stretch. We're talking about meaningful games every single time they come up to the plate, every time they throw a pitch, every time they have to get out of the bases loaded, one out jam. It makes it that much more fine, makes us have to look at every minute detail of this team as they go forward. And know this, the Marlins, even with everything they went through over the last three weeks, losing a third of their roster, having to, having to fill it with makeshift players with a Motley Crew ragtag group, they're still extremely confident about what they can do over this final month, especially once they start getting guys back. Uh, have insight from a couple guys from, from the team and Matt Joyce and Pablo Lopez who both basically said they're in this for the long haul, they're in this win-now win mentality, rebuild or not, and they're both feeling extremely confident about what this team's going to be able to do down the stretch. Yeah, I think it's um, you know, just um, sometimes you got to weather the storm a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, we had a crazy a um, few weeks there uh, where a lot of guys got the virus and you guys know the story uh, it came out hot and then we had a, a pretty uh, rough patch at home um, but still you know we're, we're still confident in ourselves um, we're, we're kind of uh, have the mindset of you know let's hold down the fort let's let's uh, let's win let's stay in contention and, and um, you know continue to get these guys that are going to play, play key roles and, and really uh, maybe hopefully be that that difference makers uh, for us um, <clears throat> to really get hot again um, but yeah I think we're still confident that we can win um, you know it's it's you know, it's tough when you when you lose 20, 20 of your your guys 20, uh, 20 of your teammates that you know were set to be uh, you know starting starting uh, guys that, that have an impact on, on uh, at this level um, so for us you know it's it's doesn't change anything. Still got to play the game. Still got to find a way to win. Yeah, it's definitely great. Uh, every single player that uh, we got after the outbreak we had, you know, like they came in with a good mindset that's definitely been helping us. And 
you know, the guys that we lost and they're coming back, they already have that mentality, they have that mindset. So we were just looking to like uh, keep doing things the way we, we are doing it. Uh, we, we continue doing the things the right way. Uh, results are gonna come, uh, are gonna come. Uh, things are gonna fall into place and hopefully we can keep our groove, we can continue. Uh, we got a great group of guys, you know, great chemistry. Um, so you, like it makes you want to be here. It makes you want to come come early and spend time with your with your teammates, with your brothers. You know we have that chemistry. Like I know they they have my back, and every single pitch I try to like have their back at uh, at all times. So um, it's a great feeling, and I know we're gonna continue to grind, continue to work hard to uh, continue getting that feeling so it doesn't go away. Okay, that's going to do it for this debut episode of Fish Bites. We'll be back next week and every week throughout the season. And don't worry, it's not going to just be me rambling every week. We have a lot more in store for future episodes. You can follow all of our coverage at MiamiHero.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at J underscore McPherson1126 for all your Marlins news and notes. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you again next week.